Welcome to Forward Tech with Akon, where we talk about technology that is shaping our future today. In this episode, I put together a supercut of everything Elon Musk said at Neuralink's 2022 show and tell day. There are a lot of crazy updates in this video, so make sure to watch until the end. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest videos. Be on the lookout for my reaction and review of this Neuralink 2022 show and tell day because there's a lot to unpack. Without further ado, let's check out everything Elon had to say at the 2022 Neuralink show and tell day. Welcome to the Neuralink show and tell. So we've got uh, an amazing amount of new uh, developments to share with you that I think are incredibly exciting, as well as tell you about the future of what we're planning to do here. It's, uh, and now this is meant to be a technical podcast, sort of like a, we're, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm gonna provide an overall summary, um, and then we're gonna have a number of members of the, the Neuralink team come in and give a, a deep technical overview of the various areas. So uh, yeah, so let me, move forward with the, the overall summary. Now, some of the things I'm gonna say are things you've, well, if you've been following Neuralink, you've already heard before, but uh, for, for a lot of people out there, they've no idea what Neuralink does, and so I'll be a little bit rep repetitive of things you may already know, but that others do not. So, um, the, the, overall, the overarching goal of Neuralink is to create a, uh, ultimately a whole brain interface. So uh, a, a, a generalized input-output device that in, in, you know, in the long term literally could interface with uh, every aspect of your brain. And in the short term, uh, can, ask, can interface with um, any given section of, of your brain and, and uh, solve a, tr a tremendous number of things that, that uh, cause de debilitating issues for people. So, uh, you know, so our, our long-term is, like, I mean, I'll talk a little bit about our long-term goal. Uh, it's gonna sound a little esoteric, but it's the, it, it was actually the, sort of my, my prime motivation, which was, you know, kind of what, what, what do we do about AI? Like, what do we do about artificial general intelligence? Uh, if, if we have digital super intelligence that's, they're just much smarter than any human. How do we mitigate that risk um, at, a, at a species level? How do we mitigate that risk? Um, and then even in a benign scenario where the AI is uh, very, very benevolent, um, then how do we even go along for the, go along for the ride? How do we, we participate? Um, and the I mean, the conclusion, I, the, the, the thing that, the, the biggest limitation in going along for the ride and in aligning uh, AI, I think, is the, is the, the bandwidth, the, the how quickly you can interact with the computer. So we are, we are uh, all already cyborgs in a way, in that the, your, your phone and your computer are extensions of yourself. And if you, I'm sure you found, like if you uh, leave your phone behind, 
uh, you, you end up tapping your pockets and, and it's like having missing limb syndrome. Like where, you know, the, the phone is, it is, leaving your phone behind is kind of like a missing limb at this point. You're so used to interfacing with it. You're so used to being a de facto cyborg. Um, but, but so, so what's the limitation on, on, a, on a phone or a, a laptop? The limitation is the, the rate at which you can receive and send information, especially the, 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 the speed with which you can send information. So if you're interacting with a phone, it's limited by the speed at which you can move your thumbs uh, or the speed at which you can talk into your phone. This is an extremely low data rate. Um, you know, maybe it's like 10, optimistically 100 bits per second, but a computer can, can communicate at uh, you know, gigabits, ter terabits per second. So this is the fundamental limitation that I think we need to address to mitigate the long-term risk of artificial intelligence um, and also just go along for the ride. And uh, yeah. So, but like I said, that's, that's, that, that's an esoteric explanation that I think uh, will ap appeal to a niche audience, um, uh, some of whom may be here. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a very difficult problem. So even if we do not succeed with that problem, I think we, 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 like we are confident at this point that we will succeed at many, uh, it's, at solving many brain injury uh, issues, spine injury issues along the way. So, um, yeah, so, anyways. <laughs> so, uh, actually we have uh, Justin Roiland in the audience. Uh, is, uh, hi Justin. So it's a little Rick and Morty reference here. Um, the uh, this great Rick and Morty episode about intelligence enhancement of your dog and uh, what's the worst that could happen? So, uh, anyway, I've Rick and Morty, I recommend it. <laughs> um, so, for, for, so you want to be able to read the signals from the brain, you want to be able to, to write the signals, uh, uh, you want to be able to ultimately do that for the entire brain, um, and then also extend that to uh, communicating to the rest of your nervous system if there's a, if you have a, um, a sort of a severed spinal cord or neck. So uh, now this is a this this video is now 18 months old. So this is um, Pager, uh, who is playing uh, monkey mind pong. So this is a Pager has a neural link implant in this video, um, and the thing that's interesting is that you you can't you can't even see the the neural implant. Um, so it's, the, it's, we've miniaturized the neural implant to the po point where it, it matches the, the thickness of the skull that is removed. So it's essentially the, it's sort of like having an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, uh, re replacing a piece of skull with like a, you know, a smartwatch, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better uh, analogy. Um, so. Uh, so you can see, you can really can't, it, it, he looks pretty, he's normal. But, um, and I, I think that's pretty important. If you have a Neuralink device, like I could have a Neuralink device uh, implanted right now, and you wouldn't, <laughs> well, 
you, you wouldn't even know. I mean, <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> I maybe one of these demos, in fact, one of these demos I will. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so, so here's, here's a, I mean, first of all, it's kind of wild, hey, monkeys can play Pong. Like, uh, they can actually play Pong if you give them a joystick. Uh, so Pedro first learned to play Pong with, with a joystick, so I'm like, that was novel. And it's like, I didn't know monkeys could play Pong, but they can. Um, and then, uh, so we first trained Pedro to play Pong with a joystick, then we took the joystick away and have the, the neural link. And now, this is, he's playing telepath, it's a, te Tele telepathic video games, essentially. Um, so what we've been doing since then is, uh, we've been on the, the very difficult journey from prototype to product. Uh, and I've often said that prototypes are easy, production is hard. Um, it's really, I'd say, a hundred to a thousand times harder to go from, to, go from a prototype to a device that is uh, safe, reliable, works under a wide range of circumstances, is affordable, um, and done at scale. It's, it's insanely difficult. Um, I mean, there's an old saying that, you know, that it's 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration, but I think it might be 99%, 99.9% perspiration. Um, you know, the best example I could give of an idea being easy, but the execution being hard is going to the moon. It's uh, the idea of going to the moon, easy. Going to the moon, very hard. <laughs> so, um, and uh, we've been working hard to uh, be ready for our first human, and obviously we want to be extremely careful uh, and certain that that it will work well before putting a device in a human. But we're we've submitted, I think. Most of our paperwork to the FDA, and we're, we're, we think probably in about six months we should be able to have our first neural link in a human. So, <laughs> but as I said, we, we 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 do everything we possibly can to test the devices before, uh, not even not not even going into a human before even going into uh, an animal. So. We do benchtop testing, we do accelerated, accelerated life testing. Uh, we have uh, a fake brain simulator uh, that has the, the texture and uh, it's like emulating a brain, but it's sort of rubber. And uh, so any, we, we, before we would even think of putting a device in an animal, we, we do everything we possibly can with rigorous benchtop, benchtop testing. So we're not cavalier in putting devices into animals. Uh, we're extremely careful, and uh, we, we always want the device, whenever we do the implant, uh, if it's in a sheep or a pig or a monkey, to be confirmatory, um, not exploratory, so that we, like we've, we've, we've done everything we possibly can with benchtop testing, and, and only then would we consider putting a device in, in an animal. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll actually show you a, a, a demo later today, of, of, in a few hours really, of, uh, a, a, of implanting in a brain proxy. 
Um, and if anyone in the audience wants to volunteer, uh, we have the robot right there. So, let's see, and since, since the pager demo, uh, we've expanded to work with a troop of six monkeys. Uh, we've, uh, we've actually upgraded pager. Um, they do varied tasks, um, and we do everything possible to ensure that, that things are stable and re replicable and that, things la that the device lasts for a long time uh, without degradation. So. And uh, what you're seeing there is it looks like the matrix, but that, that's uh, actually, th th that's a real output of, of neural signals. So that, that's, that's not a simulation or a, just a screensaver or something, that those are actual neurons firing. That is one of the, what one of the readouts looks like. And um, here you can see uh, Sake, that's one of our other monkeys, uh, typing on a keyboard. Now, he's, it, this is telepathic typing. So to be clear, this is, the, the, he's, he's not actually using a keyboard. He's moving a, a, the cursor with his mind uh, to the highlighted key. Now, now technically, um, uh, we can't, can't actually spell and, uh, <laughs> so I don't want to oversell this thing. Uh, because that's uh, that's the next version. Um, so the, but what's really cool here is is um, Sake the monkey is moving the mouse cursor using just his mind, moving the cursor around to the highlighted key, and then spelling out what we uh, you know, what we want what we want to spell. But um, and then uh, so so this this is uh, something that could be used. For somebody who's, who's say, uh, uh, quadriplegic or tetraplegic uh, human, um, even before we make the, the, the spinal cord stuff work, uh, is being able to con uh, control a mouse cursor, control a phone, um, and we, we're, we're confident that you, that uh, someone who is has basically no other interface to the outside world would be able to uh, control their phone better than someone who has working hands. So, yeah. And I mentioned upgradability. Upgradability is very important because uh, our first production device will be much like an iPhone 1. And um, I'm pretty sure you would not want an iPhone 1 stuck in your head if the iPhone 14 is available. Um, so it's going to be... It's, um, being able to demonstrate full reversibility and upgradability so you can re remove a device and replace it with the latest version or if, if it stopped working for any reason, um, re replace it. It's, it that's, that, that's a fundamental uh, requirement uh, for the device at Neuralink. And I should say both Saki and Page were upgraded to our la uh, latest and greatest implants. Uh, so. Uh, that, that's been really over a year and a half now that, that Pagers had f f the, f the first implant and then the upgraded implant. So this is a very good sign that it lasts for a long time with no uh, observed ill effects. I think it's also important to show that um, Saki actually likes doing the demo um, and is not like strapped to the chair or anything. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, so. Um, the monkeys actually enjoy 
doing the demos because they and, and they get the banana smoothie and it's kind of a fun game. So, um, we, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like we care a great deal about animal wel <laughs> welfare, <laughs> and um, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure we, like our monkeys are pretty happy, you know. So as you can see, pretty quick decision maker on the fruit front. So. So for our, the first two applications we're going to aim for in humans um, are restoring uh, vision. And uh, the, I think this is like notable in that even if someone has never had vision ever, like they were born blind, we're, we believe they can, they, they can, we can still restore vision. Um, so uh, because the, the visual part of the, the visual part of the cortex is still, still there. Um, so. Uh, yeah, even, even if they've never seen before, uh, we're, we're confident that they, they, could, they could see. Um, and then the, uh, the other application being in the motor cortex, uh, where we would initially enable someone who uh, has no ability, to, almost no ability to operate their, their muscles, you know, sort of like a sort of Stephen Hawking type situation and um, enable them to operate their phone faster than someone who has ha working hands. Um, but then even, obviously even better than that would be to bridge the connection. Um, so uh, take, take the, out the signals from the motor cortex and um, let's say somebody's got a broken neck, uh, then uh, bridging those signals to neural link devices located in the spinal cord. So. I think we're, we're confident there are, no, there are no physical limitations to enabling full body functionality. Uh, so, uh, I mean, as miraculous as it may sound, uh, we're confident that it is possible to restore full body functionality to someone who has a severed spinal cord. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, um, and then I, w I want to emphasize again that the primary purpose of this update is recruiting. Um, a lot of times people think that they, you know, they, they couldn't really work at Neuralink because they don't know anything about biology or how brains work. Um, and the thing that we really want to emphasize here is that you, you don't need to uh, because when you break down the the skills that are needed to uh, make Neuralink work, it's actually many of the same skills that are required uh, to make a smartwatch or uh, modern phone work. So it's sort of, you know, software, uh, batteries, radios, inductive charging, um, and uh, uh, you know, as well as things that are specific to, to us, like animal care and clinical and regulatory matters. Um, obviously, machine learning, <laughs> that phrase is used a lot. Um, but we obviously need to interpret the signals from the brain, um, which is a biological neural net. And the best thing to interpret a biological neural net, neural net is a digital neural net. Um, 
So this is, if there's one message I want to convey, it is that if you have expertise in creating advanced uh, devices like watches and phones, computers, uh, then your, your capabilities uh, would be of great use in solving uh, these important problems. Um, hey, thanks for watching. Take a moment to click the like button and subscribe to the channel for more videos. Back to the presentation. That's, that's, that's more than anything the message I want to convey. Uh, so, um, let's see. Uh, Thank you. This, this is obviously amazing and has clear therapeutic potential. Um, it would also be great for the scientific neuroscience community to access some of these tools. Do you have any plans to make these available to neuroscientists? Yes, yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> um, so um, no, it's, it's a great question. Is uh, I think there's probably a lot that, that can be figured out uh, if we provide the uh, surgical robot and devices to neuroscience uh, research uh, departments at universities and hospitals. Uh, so I think at the point at which we have, uh, we need to be in production with the machines and obviously have the FDA approvals, but I think uh, it would make a lot of sense to provide this to uh, research universities and hospitals. The question is, uh, how, of, of the data that we... Uh, of the data sets yeah. that you've collected, um, are there any that you plan to open source for the scientific community? Yeah, I think that would be that would be fine. I think, uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Because I think it could be really interesting for people uh, working in AI research um, to build upon that um, and build and build foundation models for the brain. Yeah, that's a, it's a good point. Yeah, I actually have no problem with uh, just publishing it on our website. You can use it if you want. Looking forward. Great. Do you think it will be helpful to actually load some drug on, on the surface of your electrode or some other way? Well, I think like maybe the, just the question is like what, like what, what sort of signal degradation have we seen over time? Um, and uh, you know, basically, just, does, it, does it work a year later? Does it work two years later? Um, it, it does. So we're also uh, continuing to reduce the size of the, the electrode. So um, as it, w when the electrode gets really small, there's um, the, the sort of inflammation response or uh, scar tissue becomes minuscule. So it's like a very, a very tiny electrode the body basically ignores. This is really impressive. Congrats to the whole team. Um, so as, as you, of course, know, one of the problems with current electrodes is they're rigid and they move around, so you have these neural non-stationarities. And I think many of us had hoped that with these very thin threads, they would maybe move more with the brain and you wouldn't see that. But from the data you showed uh, over many hundreds of days, there was a lot of variability. So can you speak to how much do they move and do you have any idea of like why does it move? Can you stop it from moving? Is it like how stable are the signals hour to hour and day to day? Yeah, to be, to be clear, the, like, this electrode position is, is actually fairly stable. Um, 
because you, you've got these very tiny, basically very tiny wires with, with uh, that, that, and, and there, there's some play in the, in the, like you've got you've got the device attached to the skull originally, but then you've got this this long so tiny wire with kind of a uh, a coiled section. So it's a, it does tend to basically stay in the same place. We also asked for questions on Nerling's Twitter, so we'll be interleaving some of those. Uh, Supe wants to ask, what could Nerling help people with that most people don't realize? Uh, well, I mean, so um, I mean, once you're in there, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a lot you could do. Um, so, um, you know, you can obviously measure temperature. So you could do very early detection of a fever. Uh, you could you cannot measure uh, pressure. Uh, I think you, you, you probably detect that uh, um, at the very early, the very beginnings of a stroke, because um, you can see sort of like electrical signals starting to go sort of haywire. Um, so there's actually probably a lot of um, just general health monitoring that you could do once you're in there, you know, and, and with, with very simple sensors. Hi. Um, you guys all did a great job of distilling a lot of complex engineering and science and making it wonderfully clear. So great job. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the stimulation, I guess, for the phosphines and for the, the evoked movement. Um, how, are, are you thinking, is this more like local stimulation? Is it, or is it juxtacellular? Are you steering current around? How many cells are you activating? How much current are you using? I'm just curious what the scale of this is and whether you have a lot of precision or a lot of, you know, you have pretty profound behavioral effects too. Uh, th this actually also it's possible to get to a much higher, like uh, effective pixel count by um, controlling the 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 field electric field between the electrodes. So uh, it's not necessarily it's not a one to one relationship. You could um, actually um, uh, dynamically adjust the the, the, the field um, and simulate farm have a have a very high. Uh, neuron to electrode ratio, so try to you know, like could you get like you know maybe, maybe t ten to one, a hundred to one potentially. So, so you know, megapixel type type. I mean, basically, can you see it normally? <laughs> I think people would want to know that, and I think that is one of the one of the possible outcomes. Cool. So we have uh, another question from Twitter. This is from David. And he asked the team, what are the biggest lessons you learned since the previous presentation? It's been about two years. I'm sure there was a lot of engineering done. Um, so yeah, anyone want to answer what we learned in the last two years? I mean, I've learned that the brain is really squishy. <laughs> like way squishier than you think. It's not like, uh, you know, cauliflower or broccoli or something like that. It's more like a water balloon. Uh, and then it's moving in your skull like a lot. <laughs> so got a squishy water balloon in a coconut is maybe a good way to think of it. <laughs> we have another question from Twitter. Juan wants to know what career path do you suggest for somebody that is just getting out of high school if they want to work at Neuralink in the future? Well, it's really any of the skills that we described. Uh, so I mean, we're developing uh, new chips, uh, you, uh, there's material science, uh, you know, there's uh, software, obviously, uh, animal care. I mean, it's it's uh, really all the, all the things that we listed in the, in the Neuralink 
slash careers. That would be a good guide. So I have a, another question, uh, which is more about the electrical side. So you talked about 1,024 uh, channels being recording. Are you transmitting the raw signal, or was it only the three spike events that you were talking about, the low, mid, and the high? Or is it the raw, entire raw form, waveform that you transmit? Uh, I, <clears throat> one thing that isn't obvious is that the, the actual uh, bit rate that you need to control a phone or a uh, computer is actually very, very low. So I, I think we might have the record for bit rate. Is that? Correct? We think we do, uh, maybe. So on the order of 10 bits per second. <laughs> so that's super slow. Um, but if you think like, how, if, when you're inputting data into a phone, like how fast your thumb's moving, how many thumb, what's your thumb taps per second, pretty, pretty low. And um, I mean, we're like basically, our thumbs are like two slow moving meat sticks that we, you know, do this, and it's like it's really low. It's like a low bar, is what I'm saying. Um, so for at least for output, it's it's a you, know, you get 10 bits per second. You're you're holding ass. Uh, so, and that's you don't need blue, you have Bluetooth anything for you. So you could practically send it out with beeps and bops, you know. Uh, so it's not it's, if you go if you're going like a high bandwidth visual. Now you're you know maybe going to megabit plus, but it's it's still it's really well within. Bluetooth, uh, or but anyway, it's just we're, we're that is what I'm saying is that's not, that's not a constraint the the, the data rate. Um, one of the sort of like maybe notable item which we talked about in the presentation, but uh, we we think we can probably solve for doing the implant without cutting the the dura. We can just do basically a bunch of holes through the dura, which is like the dura is like the big thick orange rindy thing that uh, contains the that's up against the skull. If you don't pierce the dura, you know, if you don't, if you don't cut the dura away, and instead you have a bunch of tiny holes and insert the electrodes through the tiny holes uh, into the brain, um, and then the recovery time is ridiculously fast. Um, you know, you're not really losing much in the way of cerebrospinal fluid. It's, it's, you could, in theory, we, I mean, this could be like a, the whole thing could be a 10-minute operation. Like LASIK. Like it's fast. It's not like a big laborious thing. It's super fast. But I think if you if you ask a question like um, like in my opinion like would would I be comfortable implanting this in someone, you know, one of my kids or something like that? If at at this point like if if, if they're in a serious like let's say they um, if they broke their neck, would I feel comfortable right now doing it? I would. I, th I would say we're, we're, we're at the point where, I, at least uh, in my opinion, it, it would not be dangerous. Um, hi, thank you for the presentation. Uh, so I have a non-technical question. Um, are you collaborating with uh, people with uh, motor disabilities? And if so, have they shared any um, ideas of applications that they would be excited about? You know, something that's uh, we've talked about, but it's maybe uh, it should be reemphasized. Uh, we, we are doing a, we're we're building up a production system for the devices. So we're we're building up, bringing out the production line, making large numbers of devices. We want to make thousands, ultimately tens of thousands, then millions of devices. So 
the, the progress at first, particularly as it applies to humans, will seem perhaps agonizingly slow, but we're, we're doing all of the things necessary to bring it to scale in parallel. So in theory, it should, uh, progress should be exponential. Okay, so thank you, that was a very cool presentation. Um, so one of the stated goals was recording from everywhere in the brain, being able to record from and perturb any uh, location. So it seems like currently it's all cortical. Um, and I'm curious, with the current device, is it is there any sort of long-term goal or idea as to extending it into going deeper in the brain? I mean, for neuropsychiatric disorders, for memory, all of these things are much deeper, several centimeters. So I'm wondering, what's the time scale, if you were to give a very rough estimate, of when I can expect to see a Neuralink product that goes that deep? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the fundamentals of the device um, in the skull will stay essentially the same because the, as I said earlier, the, the device in the skull is very much like a, like a smartwatch, essentially. It's got, it's a battery, radio, inductive charger, uh, computer, and, um, and then you've got the, the, the little wires. And so you need to make the wires longer and you'd have to have a, a deeper insertion uh, needle for the robot. But it, this really is intended to be a generalized I.O. device. So apart from the tiny wires being longer um, and the surgical robot needing a longer needle, in theory, you should be able to go anywhere. Because uh, it seems to me that part of the robot is trying to detect where the blood vessels are and then avoid them, correct? Would that be possible at that scale? I mean, certainly not just visually, but maybe there's some other way of detecting it. Uh, is that is that... Like, is that a current goal, and do you expect that within, I suppose, the next decade? Yeah, I think that's, that's really the ideal situation. If the, the threads are really tiny, they can actually go th through a blood vessel, um, and, it's, and it's okay if, if, in the, you know, if they're tiny enough. So, so what wouldn't, we wouldn't need the blood vessel imaging in that case. I, I'm, I, I actually am slightly optimistic that that, that is achievable. I guess people don't realize, like, for the deep brain simulation, just how big the hole is. <laughs> it's a, it's quite, I mean, it's, what is it, like? I mean, how, how, how basically, it, in current deep brain simulation, how much of a borehole is dr drilled in the brain? Yeah, you're, you're drilling uh, a 14 millimeter borehole and then passing a two millimeter wire, um, you know, six centimeters, eight centimeters deep into the brain, so all blindly, hoping that you don't hit a blood vessel, telling the patient up front, this might be good for you, and there's a 1% chance you're gonna, your brain is going to bleed in a way we can't control. So That is current technology that is happening right now. So doing better than that is we can, we can definitely do way better than that. No problem. Our needle's 40 microns. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, maybe just uh, one, one or two more questions. Yeah, I have a question about your um, very, very long-term uh, inspiration to have this high bandwidth communication with advanced AIs. So it seems like you know the advanced AI would need to understand the human's most complex thoughts and emotions, and that's what neuroscientists are trying to do. So do you have any ambitions to tackle neuroscience beyond neuroengineering? Well, I mean, I think we're, you know, we're going to make the input-output device and the software interface with it, and I think probably um, 
you know, part of the suggestion earlier, we'll try to open source as much as possible so people can take a look at it. And I think uh, there will be a lot of others that, that build upon the work that we're doing. Um, you know, the same way that uh, if you make a, if you make a microprocessor or CPU or computer, uh, that people will write uh, lots of software that runs on that computer. Um, so, but if, if you don't have the computer, the software is moot. So we're, we're making the input-output device with the computer, and, um, and then I think probably there, there, there will probably be a lot of other organizations, companies that, that, built, um, that build upon that foundation. So, yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that uh, I would sometimes wonder is that if, if you do have a whole brain interface and you can record memories, um, we're really getting into Black Mirror stuff here. Uh, but um, this could be one of them. <laughs> the presentation covered keyboard and handwriting-based input methods. How do you plan to develop an input model that will achieve much higher bandwidths for complex tasks in humans? Yeah, just I think just having this general input-output device will just so gigantically improve our understanding of the brain. It's, it's, it's hard to, it, the words can barely express. Like, you know, uh, right, right now we're just guessing a, a lot of what's going on in the brain, but if you have direct uh, IO, it's not no more guessing. Uh, what we would learn about the, what we will learn about the brain with such a device in, in wide use uh, is absolutely or many orders of magnitude more than we currently understand. So um, I guess on that, on that note, uh, thank you for coming and thank you for watching online. Thanks so much for watching the video. Make sure to like and subscribe to stay updated with my latest videos. You're going to want to see my next video about my reactions and general review of Neuralink's show and tell day. There is a lot to unpack. Also consider joining our Patreon in the description to help support the channel where you'll get early access to all of our videos. Thanks for watching Forward Tech with Akon. Until next time.
Thank you.